leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. We are back again with another episode of Breaking LinkedIn with Breaking Into Cybersecurity and the Hacker Valley Studio. We are here. It is episode 10, two and a half months in. It's been amazing. Um, we have some wonderful and awesome, awesome, awesome guest, friend of the show, as they say on Wendy Williams. Yep. Gary Hayslip is here with us today. So I am going to let us all I'll introduce myself, go around clockwise, let everyone introduce themselves, and then we'll get started. So I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, helping amazing people like Chris, Ron, and Chris work for awesome people like Gary, helping Gary hire people like Chris, Ron, and Chris, <laughs> 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 and helping Gary into people like Gary into opportunities as well. So that's me, Chris C. Go for it. How's it going, everybody? Chris Cochran from Hacker Valley Studio. Glad to be here. Uh, security engineering director at Marquetta. Uh, I'm excited to have Gary here. It's my brother from another mother. Uh, pass it over to Ron. <laughs> yes, thank you. Ron Eddings from Hacker Valley Studio. Also, glad to be here. Renee is the glue holding everything together. Thank you for always putting us together, Renee. And uh, yeah, love to be here. Security architect by day, but co-host by night. Wonderful. Chris oh, Ron, my brother from another mother. Chris. <laughs> hey, Chris Fallon. Um Senior Security Consultant at Grimm, member of the Tinker Tribe, and just love being Renee's co-host. Y'all just making me feel so good. Gary. <laughs> uh, Gary Hayslip, uh, CISO at SoftBank Investment Advisors, and uh, pretty much friend to everybody here, you know, and uh, you know, I said I'm very active in the community. You know, I go ahead and I mentor and work with a lot of people, and I write and, and publish, and uh just happy to be here and be able to you know, talk to everyone. Awesome. So today's topic was presented by me. And <laughs> I want to know from you all. So one of the things that comes up often and, and right now we're in the middle of a lot of transition for a lot of people. Um, you know, congratulations to Chris because he just made a move um, over from Netflix to Marquetta. So super, super excited for you, Chris. Um, and what I wanted to know from you all, and I have my own, you know, what I've heard people say is what makes you look for a new opportunity? So when, when you're, you know, what is it about either where you are in your career, what you're looking to do next? Um, you know, what kind of tips you over that scale and says, okay, it's time to start looking or when someone reaches out to you, what kind of piques your interest? So that's the question for today. Who wants to jump in and start? I, I think I, I, I can start. Uh, and the reason I think I should start is because I have, a, I wouldn't say it's a controversial stance, 
but I, I'd say it's a stance that not everybody agrees with. So early in my career, I had a mentor uh, who was my boss, and he always he told me to always be open for a cup of coffee, like no matter who it is, like no matter what your allegiance is to your company, just always be open to have that conversation. If somebody's trying to bring you over, because those scenarios and those situations could be completely life changing. It can change your life, the life of your family. So always be willing to have that conversation. So uh, I've taken that with me for the last 12 to 15 years. And so I'm always like open to that conversation. I'm always, I'm not actively looking, like I'm not going out there looking for like the next big role or anything like that, but I always leave that door open for those opportunities. I, th I think that's a great approach. I, I think I've also had that approach, um, ha have a conversation with people, not only that, but you get to meet cool people and find out about interesting roles, whether it's a fit for you or not. Um, right. you, you could also know someone in your network, like this might not be a good fit for me, but hey, I know Ron might be looking. Um, mm -hmm. So let me, let me mention it to him. 100%. I think that's how some of us have met Renee. I know that's how me and Renee met was just having a conversation. We talked a little bit about the landscape of security and opportunities. And then we were like, hey, let's also do a live tomorrow. You know, we think there'll be a lot of collaboration. So just having that conversation, if I was closed off to even talking to Renee, we I know she's a recruiter, but I also wanted to meet her. I know that she has a lot of value that she can provide and hopefully the same I can provide her. So I think yeah, always having that conversation. Great point, Chris. Yeah, I think that's how, um, actually, I think that's how Renee and I met and became friends. <laughs> but at the time, was I was ending one role. The company got acquired. You know, they already have one CISO. They don't need a second CISO. And, uh, and so as I transitioned and started doing some consulting work and looking for my next role, you know, uh, Renee and I had a lot of discussions and, you know, and, and it kind of led into you know where I'm <clears throat> where I'm at now, but I mean your your question. I mean I have to admit. I mean I've I talk with a lot of peers, and I find um, especially in the in the CISO ranks, the job itself is stressful. The job mm -hmm. itself at, at sometimes is um, is thankless, you know, because you you don't have a light at the end of the tunnel. It's kind of this long dark tunnel, and it just it's continuous because you will always have things that are going on and um so you know you, you hope that you're in a job where you've got budget where you um are trusted and you can build and mentor and work with really cool people and you get a chance to you know most of us are geeks we love technology we love being able to do different things and so i mean you know, you want one of those kind of positions that makes the good you know that has the good around you make the bad not feel so bad you know, and it's like, um, and I honestly think, you know, at times you run into, you know, you, you kind of question yourself, you know, when you're at an organization and things happen and you kind of question that I make the right decision. And, you know, you kind of question, you know, uh, did I miss something? <clears throat> you know, I've been doing this for a while. You know, I should be professional. I should have caught that. And that, that's why you have your community. That's why you have people you can reach out to and talk and get a different view and, and look at, is it time to move? You know, um, from, a, from a professional standpoint, have I progressed where I really need something different or I, I need something bigger to expand and to grow professionally and to grow as a person? And that's where I've seen CISOs take roles 
that just totally pivot in the right field. And I'm just like, where'd that come from? You know, you guys have always been a hot, you know, you've always been assisted with hospitals and now you're over here and, you know, you're working at a casino. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah. And, and as you said, you know, it's, it's, those, it's those conversations. Sometimes you get a conversation out of the blue that is life changing that, you know, the opportunity is something so unique you would jump on just to have a chance to work with that people or that team or that company. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, you know, I do, I haven't met anybody that is ever like totally closed off from talking to anyone. And I, I definitely think it is a good rule of thumb to, to hear what somebody has to say, you know, um, you know, my, uh, my, my, my wife says all the time, she goes, you know, it doesn't hurt you to go have a conversation and listen. And then you need to go back and talk to me. I'll come back and uh, we, we, we've been together for over 30 years. So I, I know any decision I'm making, especially something big, she's going to be involved and we're going to look at it together. Hey, yeah. hey Gary, you brought up a very interesting point. Do you think that um, imposter syndrome plays in a big part as to why some people consider leaving um, their role when things go rough? Or what's your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, I think all of us have some part of imposter syndrome. I mean, even I do, and I've been at this a long time. You know, and it's just because the technology changes, the the jobs change, uh, what businesses need. What they have may have wanted as a CISO as a role five years ago is very different than what it is today. And I've even seen companies change every 18 months, you know, and sometimes mm -hmm. who they have in the role just isn't fitting for where they want to go. And, you know, and, and it does happen. You know, I mean, I've, I've known CISOs that, um, that I've known peers, really close friends, that when they started the job two, you know, three years ago, two years ago, three years ago, it was this. And this was their role, and this is what they were doing. But in that three-year time frame, a new boss came in, a new shift in the business came in. Um, you know, the business did some other acquisitions, and now there's some other executives that are in play. And now, all of a sudden, what they're responsible for is totally changed. You know, they've lost budget, or all of a sudden, they're now responsible for an extra 75 people, you know, because they did an acquisition, you know, or, um, you know, things have changed. Sometimes they're comfortable with it and they just go ahead and roll with it and figure it out as they go. Uh, sometimes systems are like, you know, hey, I built this. It's up. It's stable. I'm good. Now I've got a big bunch of change coming and I'm just not comfortable with that. Mm. I don't do this. I don't want to do this. And, and, and it's interesting, too, because there's you have technical or what I call tactical systems and then you have strategic systems. You have those that are hands on. They like to work with smaller teams that like to be able to, you know, build and do things. And then you have strategic systems that are more enterprise, that are wider focused, work with the business, work with the C-suites. And honestly, there's no there's no bad in between them. I've known people that can do both. It's just a it's it's just a career progression, you know, and and you do. You have some people that like doing the one and don't want to do the other. And when the job itself shifts into the other that's time for them to roll because they're just like, okay, it's mature enough. I can turn it over to somebody else. I'm jetting and I'm going to go find something else. What would, you say, what would you say to the folks that have this like undying allegiance to their organization? <laughs> Maybe they're like, you know, whenever I change roles, I need to stay in there for at least five years, but they get in yeah. and it's toxic. Like, especially people from the, the military. Cause I, I've talked to a lot of my, yeah. 
uh, Marine buddies and they feel like, oh, you know, I was in the Marine Corps for 10 years. So when I go to my next role, it's going to be for 10 years. And yeah. so they have this like this like mentality where they're stuck in this toxic environment because they feel like they have to have this this loyalty to the company. What would you say to the folks that have that mentality? Yeah. And unfortunately, I run into that with a lot of vets being a vet like myself, like yeah. you. I mean, you know, we we get that focus, that mission focus where we're we're building and we're doing this and we're, we're allied to the company and we want to support. And you do, you do get into some toxic environments that aren't going to change. The business culture is a specific way that just doesn't meet what you need. Yeah. And I, and I honestly, um, I had a mentor tell me once, he goes, when you get in a position like that, he goes, you need to remember, he goes, you don't work for the company. You work for your wife and your kids. Mm-hmm. He goes, you know, and, and he goes, however ugly it is at work, you're bringing that home with you. And he goes, mm-hmm. you need to think about that. He goes, yeah. you may, you may, you may be so focused that, you know, you want this to go ahead and work. Sometimes you can't make it work. And so, you know, you got to think, okay, are you going to slog at this for the next two or three years? Give yourself an ulcer, have a stroke, you know, and, and I'm not joking. I've, I've known systems that this has happened to, you know, uh, because it's just such a brutal environment or, do you just want to go ahead and call it quits before it gets that ugly? Cause you just realize, you know, Hey, this is not, I made a mistake and it's mm-hmm. okay to say that it is. It's okay to say that we all do. You know, sometimes when you do the interview and you meet the people and everything, it's like, it's like a date. Hey, everything's going great. You get into that relationship and then you realize, mm-hmm. Holy crap, I'm with somebody that's a psycho. And there ain't never wrong with that. You know? <laughs> but it, it happens. You know, it, it unfortunately it, it, it happens. And I've had, I've had friends, you know, we'll meet a black hat or we're meeting a deaf on and we're catching up and I'm just hearing stories and I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> you know, what's yeah. happening? I'm like, dude, why are you still there? You know, and it is, they're so focused on, you know, I'm just gonna keep working harder and harder and I'm gonna make it change. I'm like, no, you're not, dude. This is culture. This is the business culture. If this is ingrained, it's extremely hard to go ahead and change it. Yep. So Kathy says here, I work with vets and that's exactly correct. They don't like to give up. They spend a long time sacrificing themselves for their work. It's a tough mindset to change. Yeah. I mean, I, um, in fact, I mean, I get called in probably about every six weeks, every six to eight weeks I come in and I brief a whole room full of vets that um, here in San Diego, they're predominantly Marine Corps. They're doing, uh, Microsoft has an amazing training uh, school up here in North County. Um, and they uh, they bring in speakers and I'm one of those that I come in and I chat with them. And that's one of the things I talk to them about is that transition and getting them to understand the mindset where you have now and where you're going into the business. They want a lot of the soft skills and a lot of what you have, but understand it's different and you've got to be willing to step out and make a change and take that phone call, take that conversation. You know, it may be life-changing for you. So, so what do you all think? Do you think that it's uh, talking to individuals like you all that are letting them know that you don't have to stay in these toxic environments or is there other tipping points for military vets? (laughs) And that's a good one too. (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) We got a question from Alan who was here last week. Alan Alper said, is Gary smarter than he is handsome? Oh, more handsome than he is smart. He's both. It's everything. Only handsome people on this show. 
you know, Alan is uh, it's kind of funny. Alan is another brother from a different mother. We uh, yep. yeah, we have long talks about stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah he he was here last week. Oh, cool. Friends yeah. of the show. And I, I would say, as my mentor, um, I love the back and forth that he shares with me, the wisdom that he shares with me, and um, definitely great person. Yeah. So, um, for Chris, since you recently switched roles, tell us about your process. Um, was it just a random phone call? Um, insights. No, actually, I, you know, I, I keep a, a, a pretty decent network of folks. Uh, you know, got to keep those networks alive. Uh, actually, I met uh, my new boss through Security Tinkerers, and we had a conversation, and we just vibed really well. And th- it was just uh, the nexus of opportunity and, you know, that, that next phase in my life. And so we, when we found that, it was just time to have that conversation, have that, that cup of coffee and, and, and move on. What I was looking for was just to have uh, a broader range of responsibilities. I've, I've been focused on threat intelligence for over 12 years now, and it was time for me to take a, a larger piece of the pie. And uh, David, my new boss, he gave me that opportunity. And so now now it's a, a whole new world for me. And it, it's, I'm super excited, uh, looking forward to growing and, and learning from David and also uh, learning from my, my fellow security tinkerers, you know, that a lot of heads of security, a lot of CISOs. And so uh, I feel like I, I couldn't be more prepared to take the next step that I have as long as I have that network behind me. Yep. Love that. That's something we talk about all the time, that network. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I just want to shout out some people who always come on. Um, (laughs) Charles Karanja, our good friend. Hey, Charles. always here. Hey to you, Kathy. She made a great comment. So shouting her out again over here in the Northern Virginia area. Uh, we had some people, Mary, she's back saying hi. Oops. Yes. Hey, Mary. That's Mary's comment. <laughs> Mary's oh, comment is so good. <laughs> good question. <laughs> so good. Um, let's see. Just want to make sure. Julius Rowe. Oh, thank you, sir. Okay, Appreciate it. That's on a big move. Very and good. then some other folks. We already saw Alan. We have someone here that keeps coming from Alaska, which I think is so cool. That's um, cool. Yeah. We have people George. from all over the world tuning into this. Yeah. I know. <laughs> they tune in. It's pretty awesome. Um, hey, Renee, I got a question for go. you. Yeah, go for it. So this is a touchy subject. <laughs> this is a subject go of... Go for it. So in my, in my experience, so I... If you look at my resume, people would say, oh, he's, he's job hopping, right? Because I think the longest stint I've had is in the Marine Corps, which is five years, Cyber Command, which is five years, and everything else is like about two years or less, right? And so when folks that do that, when they change roles for whatever reason, and they're going to that next role and they go to interview, they might get asked about why they change roles so many times. And sometimes they actually get judged even before they have that conversation. They look, someone looks at their resume and it's like, oh, this person's a job hopper. But they don't necessarily understand the entire story. What would you have to say to the, those folks out there that do go from job to job and they're looking for that perfect role? Yep. Um, it comes up often. And you have, you made a couple of really good points. One, there is some judgment depending on the person. Um, 
there's a couple of things that I try to tell all of my clients, leaders, um, partners, is that, you know, this is not kind of like to what Gary said about the veterans, you know, you put in 10 years and you want to put in another 10, or I think, Chris, you might have said that, put in, you know, they put in a certain amount of time and they just want to give a certain amount of time. And, you know, this is just not that kind of a climate, typically. There's so many changes that happen that are out there. So it could be that the person is looking for new roles. It could be that the person has been caught up in a number of layoffs or mergers or, you know, all types of things that are happening. So um, on top of that, um, with the statistics around millennials, usually the statistics and millennials, and, and I, I believe Gen Z as well, I think Gen Y and Gen Z, typically when I looked at statistics maybe about a year and a half ago or so, the, 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 the standard period of time that a person would stay in a role overall would be somewhere between 11 months and like 18 months. Mm-hmm. So the standard for staying at a company has changed. So from years, you know, maybe in the early 2000s or whatever, it's like five years, three years, whatever. If a person has a solid three years um, in, in certain companies and then you see some jumps, yes, we definitely want to understand a story. So my question is always like, what's the story behind this? Like there, there's reasons. There's always different reasons. Um Typically, when people go into an organization, I don't think they expect to leave so super quickly, you know, like they don't expect to go in and be gone in six or nine months and be out there looking for another job. I don't think anybody looks for that. So there's typically some kind of story going on in there. So I try to remind, um, there's there's two things, telling that story, telling it to the recruiter, telling to the HR person, and then getting it to the manager. Um, And then just educating the leaders to say, look, maybe in your time, you know, depending on the, the depending on the leader, if it's someone who's been somewhere for a long time, it's like, that's great for you. (laughs) But in the Mm -hmm. current environment, it's going to be, you're going to be, it's going to be difficult for you to find someone who's really had a long tenure at multiple places um, just because of the nature of the environment right now. Mm-hmm. So it's an education on both. It's it's storytelling. It's you know hearing a story from the candidate's perspective, and then educating if a if a manager is really kind of wants to know like why are they do, do they have ADD like why are they jumping around so much? You kind of like educating that leader and letting them know, hey, um, this is why. And with people with great experience, you know they have a lot of options. You know they they are looking around for various things. You have certain companies and certain environments that, to Gary's point, very toxic, to your point, Chris, earlier, very toxic environments. You get in and you don't realize, oops, like (laughs) I got into this thing. I thought it was going to work out. And it's like, I can't be in this environment anymore and I got to get out. And if that happens, you know, once or twice, you know, it's, it's, it's a story that needs to be told. So Mm. that's what I would say. Um, Sometimes people can, merge if especially if you're a consultant one of the things that i tell people to do is if you have your own llc and you're a consultant at a place you know try to just wrap it all in if you worked at i have a friend he worked at you know one company he'll do like some he has some long-term contracts and then he has some short-term ones like just put it all under the name of your company and then you could list the different clients that you had so it doesn't look so jumpy it's not at first glance to your point you get judged on this linkedin profile you get judged on your paper before somebody even knows what's going on um to kind of like put that in there um because my whole thing with with 
you know, when I talk to people all the time is how do I put the best foot forward for you? Like, I want to be able to sell you if you have great experience, if you're a good fit. My whole goal is matchmaking, getting you in front of the leader. So mm -hmm. if I could get right. you in front of that leader and like, you know, prevent the like answer the questions before they show up, that's my job. So trying to, you know, get a person to either group the experience together or come up with a story. Like sometimes I think a couple of weeks ago, someone asked, like, you know, I had to take time off for family reasons. Like, hey, that's life. Like if you if your parent, you know, you had an older parent or you needed to go back to India or whatever it is, you know, you could you could write that in there in your resume. You don't have to put that on LinkedIn, but you could say, you know, took time off, took six months, took a year, had to, you know, moved out of the country or whatever. So that it's not something that where they're asking you or asking me, where was this person for a year? Like, did they just fall off the map? What were they doing? Um, and some people take years off for they just want to take some time off. But again, it's telling, it's getting over the hump of, you know, a potential manager who is just questioning everything just because of they're looking at it from only their perspective. Mm -hmm. So Chris is uh, Gary, would you expect to have someone for more than two years? I know from my perspective, even my managers and directors and CISOs have left after, after two years. Do you expect the same for your employees? I don't think so anymore. I think um, when it comes to the loyalty that a company has for their employees and an employee has for their companies over the generation that has changed. I mean, companies today will slash people on a dime to make profits. So why shouldn't an employee also have that same approach that if you've been somewhere for two years and the next person that's coming in in the slot that you joined when you first joined two years ago is making more than you now. Why shouldn't you do the same for yourself or the environment has changed? I, I think it's it's an even playing field where companies can choose to do what they want with resources and social resources do what they want with companies. Yeah, I mean, I um, <clears throat> typically when I'm either part of a team or I'm building a team, um, you know, I don't have that high of a turnover. I usually have, you know, I, I usually build close knit teams and we stay together, you know, um, but at the same time, it's, you know, I expect I'm going to lose people because people mature, you mm -hmm. know, and I can only provide so much to a certain level, you know, and if they start moving up to where they're getting ready for a senior position, I may not have any senior positions. You know, my, my team may not be big enough for that, you know, and so I have no problem you know, helping them transition and go somewhere else. You know, I have HR managers that pisses them off. You know, and I have people that are like, why, why can't we keep him? And I'm like, you know, it's not good to go ahead and keep him. We don't have a senior level position for him, you know, mm -hmm. or, or her. You know, I've, I've even had, um, you know, women on my teams who just got to a specific level. And the next thing they were ready for was to run a team. You know, they were ready to go ahead and, and more senior level stuff. So really my job is to go ahead and not just let them go. My job is also to start talking to my network and help them land where they're going next. You know, and yeah. I've done that with several, yeah. I've done that with several of my people on my last teams and I keep, you know, and I keep in contact with them and I've got several right now that are in director level positions, you know, fast tracking towards CISO. So I'm stoked that I've, I've actually helped prepare people for that. But you know, even, you know, even myself, I mean, I look at where I'm at, I've been here a year and, you know, I still, you know, would take that conversation. I still would go ahead and talk to somebody just because 
I'm curious to see what's going on. I mean, I, I recently, just last week, amazing offer, but it's not for me. It wasn't a fit mm. for me, and I could tell for what they wanted. However, you know, the position was in Boston. I know several systems there that are searching. And yeah. so I put them in contact, and hopefully one of my peers will land. You know, um, yes, I'm saying is that, you know, you where you're at, you know, you love the job, you love the team that you're with, you know, the people that are working with you, but it is, it's just a, it's a piece of life and it's a piece of your career that you're going to mature. And hopefully you can get what you need there. If the company's big enough and you're able to move between teams and move between projects and grow and everything, but sometimes the company isn't and you have to move on. The big thing I've always tried to do is make sure that, you know, you don't burn bridges you know, you help the company as you leave and make sure that they you leave it better than what it was when you got there and that there's a good replacement for you. And if you've got, you know, junior level people that are transitioning, <clears throat> you help them with that transition and you keep in touch with them because now they're part of your network. Yep. You know, and you right. want to go ahead and make sure that they're able to grow. And in a lot of ways, they also represent me. They also represent, you know, where they yep. come from. And it's very, you know, I mean, I know that's kind of a military kind of thinking, you know, but it's like I've always, you know, focused on taking care of my people and taking care of my teams and, you know, and growing, you know, growing my my program and what I'm building and what I'm doing for my organization. And, you know, and it is, it's one of those it's one of those facts of life. You're not going to keep somebody for five or 10 years. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, the only place I've ever seen where that happens, honestly, is in government. You know, where people yeah. get in, they're in a civil service position, they're happy to, you know, they're, they're where they're at, and they just kind of go on about their business. The problem is, is that that's good for about 60, 70%, but there's about 30% that want more. There's, you know, there's, there's that other chunk that, that they want to progress, they want to add, they want to do more education, they want mm -hmm. more to the job and and they want you know challenges they want to be able to do things and um that's not that environment and so you tend to have people move you know and yeah. it just happens to be you get more of that in the civilian side you know and you know uh, out here in uh, private industry you see a lot more of it and that's something that yeah. goes a really long way my i've only been in my new role for two weeks and i've had one-on-ones with the the folks that are going to be working with me on their career progression. And then that very first one on one, I ask, what's next for you? Where are you trying to go? Yeah. Because I, I feel like even, yeah. if you're in an environment where your leader isn't even asking you that question, it, that's not a good look because you, you, you have to have someone that's invested in the future of their people, in my opinion. And so, yeah. like, if you're a leader, you're also a career coach in some, in some ways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that when when I led a team to be able to help guide them through the, those stages, help provide them with the resources that they needed to grow and the counseling, whether it was, I, I would always share, this is my view. And then this is the how I would think the company would, would view it. It's your, it's your, it's up to you to choose whichever one piece of advice you'd want to take. Mm -hmm. But that's also that's the question I ask. Well, that's the same question I ask. Go ahead, Gary. Sorry. Go ahead. That's, I think that's also uh, part of the frustrating part where you have people leave, especially like, you know, senior level um, managers and leaders is when they don't have those resources. They can't do that. They're, you know, um, you know, they, 
you know, a lot of the stuff that they would typically do to manage their team and to help their people progress and mature um, gets very. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he's an important man he's an important man important people on this show yeah. I, have father. I, I apologize um, i was but just no. gonna add that i think that um that's the question i ask everyone too so you know my first question in recruiting is what do you want to do next like what's next in your career and i think that that in and of itself it just helps to think about if there are a, for future roles, and B, for the current role, you know, if this is something that you want to do, then great. And if it's not, let, you know, it's just not the right fit, which, you know, we've had tons of conversations like that over the over time. Tons of questions coming in. So George wants to know, and I think this might be a great topic for next week. Do you think that there is a conversation to be had about the stringent requirements for entry-level roles in oh, cybersecurity? Buddy. That's a whole other George, <laughs> that's next Short answer is that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, Next I, week's topic. Yeah, I, I was in the middle of a Twitter rant last night. Several people were railing on this. They're like, you know, it's an entry level position, but they want three to five years experience. I'm like, that's not entry level, people. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> mid senior right there. It's ridiculous. So ridiculous. Don't even. I won't even start. Okay, so <laughs> Jonathan says it's like, ugh. um. He's looking to get into cyber after 20 years and a security clearance in the military without a background in IT. What's the best way to get my foot in the field schooling or just focus on certifications? Use I would your say security clearance. Yeah, use your security clearance. Ticket. Use your, tra your, your transferable skills. Whether you know it or not, the military likely has taught you a lot about security because that's what the military does. Um, and there's ways that you can relate it to the content that that you're looking to focus on. Um, find a vertical or a niche that you like yeah. and then and then drill into that because mm -hmm. it, it's a wide industry. <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah, I've helped several who were, okay, you know, uh, actually several officers who were transitioning didn't really have a lot of experience in IT, but they were trying to figure out, you know, where to get started, you know, and it was like, um, I, you know, we, you know, we talked about, you know, certs and this, that, and the other, and what training. I actually, you know, for the couple I talked to, I had them focused towards cloud. You know, and so they started actually doing AWS and started doing Azure, and they actually were having fun figuring out how things were built. And, you know, and I said, you know, if you're starting, don't start way back here in the back. Let's kind of start here and give you that niche, give you that one area that'll kind of get you started, and then from there you expand on it. But, but it's like what you said, Chris. I mean, you know, if you're coming from the military, you've already got a lot of experience. The clearance will help in some, you know, I mean, I've still got an active clearance, you know, and, uh, and I found it does come in handy sometimes. So yeah, it's, you know, they, they've already got some things that they can, that they can work with. Yep. So Sarah says really good point. Sarah Moffitt was on our leadership series last week uh, regarding job hopping. Use LinkedIn to tell your story. I've accelerated my technology skills through the last positions and experiences that I've had and use the space to show that you've contributed, done in each role and what you've been able to learn and develop. Love that. that. So I like that a lot. So true. Then she adds on, which, you know, Sarah knows me well. I don't think HR folks in the cyber IT space now expect <laughs> people to stay longer than two years, honestly, especially not in the private sector. And that's so true. 
I don't, I mean, my expectations, it's, it's really truly usually an education. Like, hey, folks, maybe you were lucky enough to be in a role for 10 or 15 or however long, but the current reality is everything is moving and changing so much and people want different types of experiences and different opportunities. And if they can't find it within their own um, organization, then, you know. And I, I think that's a warning for companies too, that, you know, if you stagnate, if the culture's stale, if you don't give that variety, you don't give opportunities, especially to the technical side of your business, the tech teams, both IT and cybersecurity, they're going to look out for it because there's going to be other people that are going to give that to them. I think especially when we look at entry level or the more junior positions, everyone wants training. Everybody wants opportunity to learn something and expand their skills. And unfortunately, that's that opportunity doesn't exist for a lot of entry level positions. They typically give the training more immediately to the more distinguished or more uh, the, the team members that have more tenure on the team. That is true. I, I would say also have a, a plan for progression. So especially for the, the junior folks, they want to see what they need to grow and where they can grow. Yeah. And if you don't have that lined up within your organization, they'll find it somewhere else. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, you, you do get from junior personnel. I understand what I'm doing today, what my job is today, but where am I going? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you better have some type of plan for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Alan says, um, and I think in leadership roles, it takes three years to affect real change, one year yeah. to learn landscape and lay foundation, two years to execute. And I would agree wholeheartedly, yeah. Alan. I think the I think the current stat for for CISOs is two and a half years or three on average. Eighteen to twenty four. Believe months. it was. <laughs> it was twenty. Who said twenty four months? It was, it was it's it's averaging about fifteen to twenty four months. Yeah. 15 to 24. And I know, I know for C, I looked at uh, some stats recently, this C-suite as a whole. So like CIO, CEO, CTOs, I believe it was like three to four years. So, I mean, all of these roles as a whole on average, you know, are turning over in less than five years. Anyone looking for anybody with five years anywhere, it's just, it's a really, really, really tough thing. Um, Somebody made this comment, um, but I don't know who, but it's a really good comment. Um, good morning from Austin, Texas. Great conversation. You should always ask a candidate about their jumps before assuming they are job hoppers. I've hired many top-notch employees that are con- that contracted for many years and now want a full-time role. That is mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. truth. So, um, oh, this is a good one. Charles has a good one for Gary. If you were to map a road to a CISO from an entry role, what would you look for in a CV? What wisdom would you give someone starting in security now? Gary. <laughs> I think he's going to write a book on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've written several books on that, and uh, we've been discussing several more. Um, the thing about it is, is that the CISO role isn't one area. I mean, like in, in my job right now, I do internal cybersecurity and I go ahead and um, I also work with risk. I work with compliance. I work with legal. Um, I work with our deal teams and evaluating startups. I work with our investment teams who are already looking at the companies that we got in our portfolio. I work with uh, the cyber teams for our HQ you know, companies in uh, Japan. Um, I mean, and the job varies. It may be security, it may be risk, 
and maybe looking at new technologies. I'm bouncing between different things. I'm talking with dev and we're looking at apps that we're building or stuff that we're having third party do for us. I may be talking with procurement and we're looking at contracts and I'm evaluating sections of the contract on how they're going to protect our data and you know what access they need to the networks and stuff. And then I may be sitting in meetings where it's all nothing but architecture. And we're looking at you know how we're going to be fully implementing zero trust and 100% cloud environment. And believe me, for those of you that are not in a 100% cloud environment, the security stack is very different than it was five years ago. You know, um, so what I tell people is that you know, if you're looking at being on a track, an average CISO position, you've got 10 years of experience on average. Usually, it's between eight to 10 years of experience is when you'll when is when you'll get your first junior CISO position and typically it won't be called CISO it'll be called you know director of information security or you know whatever and there's nothing wrong with that but that's your first position where you're actually kind of running a team hopefully by then you've got experience in IT you've got experience in network you better have experience in cloud you better be able to understand um, you know data and how it's used by users how it's used you know, uh, by teams where it's stored at, you know, um, you better be able to understand procurement and budget. You better, <laughs> you know, and this is stuff and being able to write policy and being able to work in multiple teams, you know, cross-functional. Um, you better understand when you come in how to uh, immediately work with the other business units, understand the business first, and then look at security and how security fits in it and how you support and also how you negatively impact if it's screwed up, you know. Um, so there's there's a lot of technical, you know, in in the architecture piece, and but there's also a lot of you know soft skills, and then there's also a lot of you know procedural and tactical stuff dealing with risk. You know, risk is is really heavy, um, in being a CISO because all, almost every decision you make involves risk or almost every decision you get called into to review is because somebody else has made a decision with technology and now they've impacted a bunch of things and you've got to figure out a workaround or you've got to figure out, okay, how do we reduce that negative impact so the business can still move, the dev teams can still what they're going to do because they're the ones making money. And you know what I'm saying? So what I would say for somebody starting out is one of the first things I would do, just going and learning about security is not enough. You know, you you need to understand networks, both the architectural stuff that's on-prem and also what's in cloud. You need that really good, thorough knowledge of how things are put together. Because how can you defend them if you don't know how they're built? You know, and how can you defend them and put security controls in place and protect them if you don't know how data flows through them and how they're actually used by your employees? You know, so you really need a good, you know, good grounded understanding of that. You know, um, and then the engineering piece, you know, getting into, you know, helping build out and do projects where you're at the engineering level that involve firewalls and VP, VPNs and building out sites. And, you know, some of you, know, you need that really good structural background of IT and, you know, security from an architectural, from an engineering standpoint, you know, and with the cloud piece nowadays, it's just, you have to have it. And then from there, you need to have some experience leading, whether it's managing projects or whether it's managing a team, even if it's just a team of a couple of people, you need to have the soft skills of being able to talk to people and communicate, being able to effectively write, 
and communicate what's done, you know, an incident, being able to write it out. You know, those are the things, those are the building blocks that you will need for your first CISO position. And that's the it, reason it's, why usually eight to 10 years experience. It, it sounds like the CISO position is the new Renaissance position. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, I've, um, it's funny when you get a bunch of us together and we're, you know, having a drink or two and we're chatting, the breadth of knowledge and the different fields that we've come from, you know, and, you know, and the different types of degrees that people have, it's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it is a very interesting position. Cool. Mario wants to know what about if he's been in a job for a long time, 20 plus years in a public sector, and then you're trying to go to private, how, how can someone explain that move? Ooh, so that go ahead. Well, I'll Gary, you want to talk? Yeah, I mean, I did 20 years in the military, six years civil service, and then four years at the city of San Diego. So roughly about 30 years, and then I jumped over to private. You know, um, the big thing I think you find is, you know, there's definitely a, a difference in pay, obviously. Um, the biggest thing you got to be also aware of is in private industry, things are a lot more fast-paced. You know, um, they make decisions a hell of a lot quicker than they do in public industry. Um, you also are held accountable a lot quicker. You know, I mean, I what I saw in public industry a lot of times is we'd all come together as a group to make a decision, you know, because as a group making a decision, you can't fire the whole group. Well, that doesn't fly in public industry. I mean, in, in private industry, I mean, you're going to, you're going to make decisions and you have to be able to stand to, you know, the decisions that you're making, you know, um, you know, some of the other things that, you know, you run into in private industry is you have the flexibility to be able to move, you know, you, um, you know, I go ahead and I, I talk to people that are, that are jumping over and I explain to them, I said, also understand. And when I was in public, when I was working at the city and when I was working at the government, your risk was kind of black and white. We're going to do this or we're not. We're going to follow this rules or we're not. Private industry, it's all gray. You know, it's all how much the business is willing to accept and how much you have to remediate. And oh, by the way, you don't own that risk. The business does. Your job is to help bring that risk out, bring out a bunch of different ways you're going to handle it. And then as a team, you should be working it together. It's a very, it's a 180 out from the way public you know, sector addresses it. So there are some changes and it does take a little bit to get used to that. What are the differences in uh, personalities for the CISOs in public sector and the CISOs in private? I, uh, I actually talk and actually mentor a bunch of uh, public sector CISOs and I find a lot of them and they're just like, yeah, they're just kind of, because the problem is, is that budget is very, is, is a lot harder to get. And the projects tend to be a long term and very large, you know, and a lot of times the projects you look at, you know, hey, you're doing a security project and you're the CISO of a city of three and a half million citizens. Those citizens are your customers and their data that they have for their families and stuff that the city, you know, so you've, you know, projects that you're doing, you have a heavy responsibility and you feel it. You know, and it's and it's that kind of that kind of stress. And so a lot of times they, they chat with me just to get rid of the stress. And then I think the biggest thing that you see a lot of that I really try to help some of the public systems that I talk to is taking the things that they're working on and breaking it into smaller pieces so that they can they can deal with the smaller pieces and just having that timeline, that focus on the small things that they can fix now. 
and just not get freaked out on the scale of what they're dealing with. You know, and then, you know, another big thing that you run into a lot, as, as you were saying, there is a public sector CISOs tend to not talk to each other. They tend to try to stay focused on what they're doing and they don't want other people to know that they're having problems and everything. Where private sector CISOs, hell, we talk to each other all the time. <laughs> I mean, we're up on tinkerers chatting with each other and trying to help each other. And stuff. Very, and very chatty. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's, and that's the big thing um, I recommend to many of them. And there's a lot of them that now do it is that use your network. You've got a ton of peers that are going through the same stuff that you're going through. They're using the same kind of grants that you're trying to get into, you know, for projects. They're working a lot with DHS or they're working with other, um, you know, their uh, their ISACs and other, you know, facilities trying to get services and stuff. Talk to each other. You know, when you talk to each other, you get that chance to go ahead and the whole part of self-care, being able to take care of yourself and take care of each other and get rid of the stress. But you also find ways in which you your programs can help each other. You know, and because you may have a small program, he or she may have a larger program. One of your people needs to transition and grow. You can do the switch. You can help them go ahead and move. And you feel good that they've landed okay and they're with somebody that you trust. You know, um, but yeah, it's, um, it is, it is a mindset that um, I've run into a lot with public. And, but it is changing because of a lot of the attacks that are happening in public sector is forcing them to talk to each other and work together and ask for help. Yeah. So switching gears, how do hiring, why do hiring managers red flag people who only work contracts? Six to 12 engagements. I, I'm thinking it's saying six to 12 month engage, engagements. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I would say it depends on the manager. It depends on the environment and it depends on, I, I, it's a big, it depends. Um, I've seen managers who are perfectly fine with people who are who have been consultants. They look for people who, you know, can jump in. Um, consultants typically have that kind of, you know, you're expert enough that you're able to jump into a situation um, and immediately make an impact. Um, other managers, they want people who are more accustomed to being in an environment where you see the life cycle of whatever it is that you're either working on or put in. So they want to know that you are committed to the company, that you have whatever company you've been in, that you have had um, a life cycle of it, you know, like you're only not in one space, that you're involved in many different things that are in, that's in the, uh, that particular company. So I, I don't, I don't see it as a red flag all the time. I think it's case by case, depending on the company. And some companies ask for it. Like, is the person willing to do 1099? Are they open to, you know, consulting opportunities? So that's my take from both sides of the, the coin. As In a, my line of work as a vendor, it, that's a good thing for me. Like knowing someone can be that flexible, that can jump right in, that has industry experience. Uh, that's that's not a red flag for me at all. That's a green proceed. <laughs> exactly. For, exactly. For, for some of the roles that I've been a manager in the past, um, I would I would want someone that I feel that I can invest in for two years, and because the first six months are usually getting to know the environment, getting to know all the systems, and if you're feeling the itch to jump after six to twelve months, I, I feel like I've wasted my investment in them. Um, so that, that's just something that I bring out, like onboarding into this role is going to take some time. You're going to learn a lot of new skills. I, I would want to make sure that you're with me for at least one to two years and kind of just vet that out with them. 
cool. So many comments. I mean, it's almost noon on Eastern, nine o'clock your time. Um, so I'm going to put some of these comments up. Monica yes. says, Gary, that's an awesome approach. A rising tide lifts all ships. I think it was one of the many wisdom points that Gary has given us today. Monica, um, hey, Monica. <laughs> Happy <laughs> birthday, by the way. Turner <laughs> yes. Says, I feel blessed to have really great relationships with my previous managers who see my drive and are willing to support me even when I'm ready to move on. Um, and that's some of the comments <laughs> that Gary made as well. Um, I'm going down here. Some of the basic questions, we'll answer those next week. We'll make those as a part of the topic for next week. Um, the Dizzy Programmer. Yes, um, YouTube. What's going on, Dizzy? <laughs> uh, Alan says, for me, hiring entry level, I want to see passion and drive and aptitude more than anything else. Are you smart? Do you care? Do you take the time to train yourself or demonstrate other proactive approaches? I hear that constantly. Anybody in entry-level stuff, please be proactive. Please do your own work. I call it self-directed projects. Anything that is interesting to you, exciting to you, do it. Post about it on LinkedIn. Ask questions to the community on LinkedIn. Put it on your resume as a project. That is experience, even though you're entry-level. Um, let's see. I just more entry-level stuff. Oh, one more entry-level one. Um, just talk to some entry-level candidates and I've learned their mindset was to not learn IT basics. I think that's a wrong approach as you need the right foundation. Yeah. yeah. What's an IP address? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's, what's IPv4? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so Essence says her name is pronounced Essence. Thank you, Essence. And Charles Karanja is says hat. Thank you, Gary Hayslip. Gary, you've been amazing. Um, yes. And I'm so happy that you're here with us today to share your wisdom, bringing someone who has your depth and breadth of experience in all of these walks of life. It's just so, so helpful to the community and to us. And we really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Gary. Well, I said, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. I mean, I, uh, you know, this this week has been hard, and at times, yeah, I've had a bunch of shit that just has sucked. But I've uh, just <laughs> been able to just being able to spend the day, you know, time with you guys. Uh, you know, it, it makes it worthwhile. You know, I really like being able to chat with people in the community. Yes, so awesome. many contributions, and you've been on both of our podcasts, right? So. I know that's why you guys got to invite me back. Oh, absolutely! Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to get him first? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, Gary for a leadership series. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, folks, um, we are at. We are at um, the top of the hour, one minute over, and I got a meeting to get to. So Mm -hmm. everyone, thank you so much for this awesome engagement, these wonderful questions. And we will see you here again next week. It looks like we already have our topic. Everyone's asking about why in the world security leaders or HR or whoever asked for these um, ridiculous um, qualifications for entry-level positions. I have a take on that. So I look forward to seeing everyone next week. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Next week. Bye, everybody. Thank you.
in the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity. Your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.